Good morning. This is the third Sunday of Advent. What a joy to gather and worship and to celebrate the, the eternal Son robing himself in the flesh of a babe. Born in a manger, on straw, under a star, and he came to save us. Praise God for such wonderful, wonderful news. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's the weather, but uh, you don't look overly happy out there this morning. Uh, that's, that's okay. I, I, I understand. But uh, I know you probably are struggling a bit. Uh, you're work, working through a transition in the life of your church and I know that can be a, a tad discouraging and you, you, you're longing for a pastor, you need a pastor. I, I understand all of that. But uh, let me tell you something. This isn't my first rodeo. It's not the first time I've watched churches go through transitions. And I remember when I was leaving GBS uh, six, seven years ago, you know, I'd been there 22 years and a lot of people gathered around, oh, are you sure it's the thing to do? Who's, we, we don't know, and this, you know. I said, oh, for crying out loud. God's got more leaders out there for this school than he's got buds on the spring trees when they bloom. And I said, so don't panic. God knows what he's up to. Uh, his time's not always like our time, but his clock keeps perfect time. And uh, I said, uh, the best days for this institution are ahead. And it was true. And uh, so as I look at your church, your beautiful facilities, your smiling face, I know you've lost a few people, but guess what? They'll probably feel bad and come back after a while. And, uh, and I hope you want them back, but uh, it just happens. You've got an abundance of talent. You've got a fantastic worship leader and great music and all kinds of ability around here. And uh, so just hang on, sit tight, and the good news, God is with us. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, if you'll turn in your Bible. To Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Uh, you're looking a little sad, but I'm feeling a little humorous. <laughs> Makes me think of the story when our, was it uh, the, the gentleman that played the guitar? Was that Brother Keith? Eric. Eric, I'm sorry. I, I, names are very important to me, and I like to know them, but um, I'm not around you enough to pick them up and let them stick. But uh, Brother Eric, I could tell, were you a bit nervous when you got started there this morning? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. I, I can't imagine having the courage to even get up here and play a guitar. And uh, only been doing it for a few months. And I could tell he was a little nervous. But it made me think of uh, the little boy in the annual Christmas program at church. He had worked on his part. He'd worked on his part. He'd worked and worked and memorized and had it down pat. And it came time for him to get up in front of everybody and say his piece. He got up and the lights were shining on him and everybody was staring at them like you're staring at me. And, and uh, he looked back and he, his mind went completely blank. He couldn't say anything, couldn't remember anything. Finally, he said, well, before I came in here this morning, there were two people who knew my part, Jesus and me. He said, now 
Only Jesus knows it. <laughs> and he sat down. So it happens. I want you to stand with me this morning as we read a very short verse of Scripture, but a very powerful one that Matthew is quoting the prophet Isaiah. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Father, we thank you this morning for the men and women who gather in this place under this beautiful facility and to worship Emmanuel, the one who is with us. Thank you for the beautiful music we've heard, the specials, the appeal that making room in our hearts for the Son of God. That's really why we're here. We pray your blessing on these moments as we share your word. We pray that you will grant your people the ability to listen and the ability to hear. Open our ears to hear your word and open our hearts to receive that which we hear. Bless it to us today. Magnify your name. Edify your body. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1944, during World War II, a man by the name of Dietrich Ritzel was in a train station in his hometown in Germany when the Allied forces began a bombing campaign that covered the city in which he lived. After the bombing stopped, Dietrich was lying on a bench in the railway station, which was now serving as a makeshift hospital. Looking up through the partially destroyed roof, he caught a glimpse of an inscription that was written on the ceiling on one of the remaining beams. And this is what the inscription read. It said, beyond the stars, there must be a gracious father. Looking at that inscription, Dietrich thought, I don't want such a God. I don't want a God that's somewhere up beyond the stars. I want a God who's here. I need a God who's present, who's available, who knows my and understands the situation I'm going through right now. Well, you and I certainly understand what it means to have a transcendent God. We understand His majesty, His greatness. We read about it in His Word. But a God who does not reveal Himself to us is unknowable and ultimately unlovable. No one really wants such a God. So let's be honest. If the only God there is is just one who's up beyond the stars, where we can never reach Him, where we can never know Him, He's basically a God that's useless to us. You and I want a God who dwells with us, who understands us, who comprehends what it's like to live here on this earth, here and now. 
We want somebody who understands our pain, our suffering, our heartache, our loneliness. We actually are saying we want a God who is near. And that is exactly what we have in Jesus Christ. If you wanted to summarize the Christmas season up in a single phrase, you could sum it up in this one word, this name, Emmanuel, God with us. The God who is most high became the God who is most nigh. What does that mean in just simple, plain language that you can literally sort of wrap your head around? God with us. God understanding us. It means that He shares our labors. He knows the dull drudgery of life's common task. He knows the heavy misery of breaking, back-breaking work. We don't often think of that. We often, as we gather here, we worship a God of glory, of majesty, and transcendence, all of which He is, but we sometimes forget He walked among us. He took on our flesh. He blistered His hands with carpenter's tools. He hit his thumb with a hammer, and it bled. He worked all day long with a toothache, or a stomachache, or a virus. He shares in our trials. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He understands our limitations. He knows what it means to be so poor he doesn't have a place to lay his head. He knows what it means to be hungry and thirsty, to take water from a Samaritan woman. He knows what it means to be weary, to be exhausted. He knows what it means to stand at the graveside of one of his closest friends. He actually even knows what it means to lay his omnipotent shoulders on the bottom of a cold sepulcher. He's not just a transcendent God, but He is a God who is with us. The Bible highlights that. It sort of opens it up. It expounds it. It gives us even deeper glimpses into what does that mean for you and I as you sit here on this Sunday morning and will soon be walking out that door going back into your world. What does it mean for God to be with me? What do I need to take, this, take away from such a thought? Well, first of all, you need to understand and know that God is with you in your seeking. I'm talking to some men and women this morning who at times, and maybe even right now, feel a little bit abandoned. You know, ever since the fall of man, in the garden, mankind lost something. And he's been seeking to replace it. He's been seeking to try to get it back. And the fundamental orientation of the human heart is to seek God. Mankind is seeking something. They sang this morning about making a place in your heart well, that would song would make no sense at all if there wasn't empty in our hearts, if there wasn't you and I, something you and I were seeking. 
You don't have to go very far. As a matter of fact, it's probably right here in some of your families. You have those lost ones that are seeking the things of this world to feel this longing, hungering, nagging something that's in their heart. Even children. Even children long for love and happiness. My youngest son and his wife have gone through all the training to keep foster children and they are presently have a little boy in their home. And this little boy has never really known his parents. It's, there's terrible dysfunction. You can, you, you just, it's, 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 it's a sad, sad story. You've heard them. He's one of them. And I've watched as that little boy, five-year-old boy, just steps into a home. He's never known anybody there. And all of a sudden, he's there. But he wants to be happy. He wants to have joy. He wants love. And I have watched him as he seeks out those warm embraces, as he seeks out those moments of joy. There's something even in a five-year-old's heart who is longing for something to bring joy. I've watched teens. If you've got a teen in your family right now, and they're 12, 13, 14 years old, and they're going through that particular time in their life where they're trying to find themselves. But even in their hearts, they're longing for something. Someone has said it like this. It said, the young man who rings the bell at the door of the brothel is actually unconsciously seeking God. You think about that a moment. There's a God-shaped vacuum in every heart. And that is never satisfied until it's filled with Emmanuel, God with us. And if it's not filled with Him, then it's, well, couldn't we renovate this room? Couldn't we, couldn't we add some carpet here? Couldn't, maybe, what, your, what, what about Friday night? What about drugs, sex, pleasure? Whatever it is, we're groping and seeking to find something that will fill it. But I can tell you this morning, Emmanuel is with us. And he wants to feel the deepest longing in your heart. You need to know that. The Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you're listening to me this morning with a hungry, empty heart, I don't know of any better words to leave with you than just draw near to God, because he will draw near to you. But secondly, we need to know that God is with us in the things we undertake for him. As I pondered over this this morning, I could not help but think of your church. Those who behind the scenes are leading the services and keeping the, all the pieces going and everybody's trying to do this and to do that, whatever it might be. And I know you feel a little alone and feel a little empty and feel a little headless at the top. I get all of that. But I want you to understand something. This is a moment when you can step up. You can step up and you can engage and be a part of what needs to be here. You say, well, our, our brother Eric back there said, I just learned this a few months ago. This is all new to me. Well, 
Guess what? That may be true in a lot of your cases. But I want to tell you something. When you engage in service for the Lord, He has promised to pour out a special help and blessing on you. He is with us in our service. When He at the burning bush called Moses and said, Take off those shoes, you're on holy ground. He said, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And poor old Moses Moses literally was shivering in his sandals. And he said, but not me. He said, I am slow of speech. Most scholars believe Moses probably stuttered. And he knew what it would be like to stand in the presence of Pharaoh saying, he couldn't get it out. And God said, I am with your mouth. Go, do what I'm asking you to do. I will be with you. Young Joshua, who took over where Moses left off, had to lead the people into the promised land. Such an incredible assignment. Leading millions of people into a hostile environment. But God said to him, you be strong and of good courage. You do not be afraid or dismayed, for I, the Lord your God, am with you wherever you go. Jeremiah the prophet. We call Jeremiah the weeping prophet, and he had good reason to weep. God told him, he said, when he called him, he said, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you a message, and I want you to go tell this to my people, but I'm going to tell you now before you ever go, they're not going to listen to you. Now, boy, what a great assignment. What a great encouragement. You go preach, but I'm telling you right now, they're not going to listen. But here's what he said to Jeremiah. He said, don't be afraid of their faces, for I am am with you to deliver you. God has promised to be with us as we engage in the work of the Lord. But he's also promised to be with us in our struggles. You know, there are two things that are true about this body. Guarantee you it's true. Number one, if you're a Christian this morning, you're a part of the family of God. You're a part of His family. Like it or not, you're a part of His family. You may not like everybody in it, but you're a part of His family. But the second thing that is certainly true is that every person here has problems. Some people think when they become a Christian, all of my problems just suddenly disappear. Well, I can assure you they don't. As a matter of fact, you may have a whole new set of problems that suddenly start coming your way because you embrace Christ and His faith. But in Hebrews, we're told where Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear. What can man do unto me? He is with us in our struggles, in our moments of suffering. God is with us. He is with us in our relational struggles. I may be speaking to someone this morning whose home is coming apart. Your marriage is falling apart. And you may say, Brother Avery, I have done everything I can to keep it together, and I can't. I'm being abandoned. Well, your earthly companion may be leaving, but I'll tell you one who won't leave. 
He is with you this morning. You may be struggling in the world that we live in. I don't know, maybe the economy is so good in Newark that everybody here this morning is quite wealthy. I hope so. Somehow you didn't laugh like you were. I even saw a few eyes roll this morning when I said that. But you know what? I don't believe, and as a matter of fact, uh, you hear a lot of the prosperity gospel out there. You know, mail me some seed money and it's going to come up a great garden or something. That stuff's heresy. It's utter nonsense. You know, send me a napkin. Send, send me $100 and I'll send you a napkin anointed with some oil somewhere. And you touch that and it, every, everything's going to be great in the morning. Well, it's utter nonsense. Completely, complete heresy. But let me tell you something. Somebody may be struggling here this morning financially, and those burdens are real. They are a part of life. Those th things about money and finances mentioned in the Bible far more than heaven, even heaven is. We live here in this world. But I want to tell you something. God is with us even in those moments. When Ruth and I were obviously a whole lot younger than we are now, I was 23, she was 21, and we took a church in Selma, Alabama. And the salary, I think, is, if I recall correctly, was about $135 a week. And even back then, that wasn't enough to live on. But I said, you know, I'm going to be a full-time pastor. God's called me to this, and he's just going to make up the difference. And I said, we're going to just look the world and the devil in the face, and we're going to double tithe. We're going to give twice our tithe to God. And we did. And we took the church in the summer, and we were giving, and we were growing, and God was blessing and helping us. And all of a sudden, March and April of the next year came around, and somebody said, you know, you got to file taxes. They didn't have a class at GBS about that in those days. And uh, I hadn't paid any, any, any form of... Uh, tax at all. I didn't make enough hardly to pay tax, but I didn't pay any social security tax. And so when the accountant fixed up our tax bill, it was 800 and something dollars that we had to pay. I didn't have eight cents in a savings account. And I, I, I couldn't believe it. I thought, what is, eight, eight, $800 was like $80,000. And so when I tell Ruth about it, and we just simply went to prayer. And I'll never forget, as I was struggling, I, it was a Sunday morning, and, and there I had, not only did I preach, but I taught the adult Sunday school class. We couldn't get anybody to teach the class. Shame on them. So I taught it. I was up early, early Sunday morning. I was going over my notes for the Sunday school lesson. And really my heart was heavy about, I got to pay this tax bill. We don't have any money. And as I was working my way through that lesson, God spoke to me. And he used the words from the book of Acts. He said, this day have thine alms come up before me as a memorial. Don't worry about it. And miraculously, within days, that money was in my hand to pay that bill. When we left that little church, we went into missions. 
we were over a missionary program for a denomination. And the huge salary, and this is now the 90s, and the huge salary was $600 a month. And I provided everything, my own transportation and everything. And I'll never forget, all of those years we were in missions, I cannot tell you over and over and over and over again how God met our needs. And we look back on it now, we, seem, we, we had more than we knew what to do with. And we had, to, we had an old Oldsmobile, and, and I would, that's back in the day when they didn't have video. They had slide projector machines. I would go around to these churches with carry screens and an old slide projector and show slides of the, of the mission work. And I, was, I had to put the screen over on the passenger side of the car, which blocked both doors. You couldn't get in or out. And we traveled all over the country, and the boys, would, they were small, slept in the back seat and the floorboard. And I said, God, this isn't working. This is a, this is a death trap. Uh, if we have an accident, we're going to die. We can't even get out of here. And I said, we need a van. And so we began to pray for a van. And here again, we didn't have any money, $600 a month, and the boys' tuition to the Christian school was almost that much. And so we uh, began to pray about it. And Ruth looked at me one day and she said, we need to be praying about a Dodge Caravan. I said, I wouldn't be quite so specific, honey, if I were you. And I'm pretty, I'll, I'll be happy to get whatever we get. She said, no, that's what we need to pray about. And that's very unlike her, but we did. I got a phone call one morning. A friend of mine said, tell me about some of the needs on the field. And I was sharing the, the burdens of the field. And then he stopped in the conversation and he said, is there a particular need you have? I said, I'm doing fine, no problems. I, I, I was never one much to share my needs at all. I said, I'm doing great. He said, uh, I don't think so. He said, is there a need? And I said, well, we really need a van to do the work for missions. He said, okay. He said, my partner and I will give you each $4,000 each. $4,000, that's $8,000 they would give me. And I said, wonderful, and got off the phone, told Ruth about it, and she had actually, we'd actually located a van, a Dodge Caravan. And we needed $12,000 with my old car to buy it. And I said, I'm, I'm, really, had to, I'm really glad to get $8,000, but that ain't enough. We had a trip up here to Ohio. I was located in Alabama at the time. We drove to Auburn, Ohio at a missionary service. And as I was speaking, telling about the needs of the mission field, there was a big old guy who worked for Rumpke, just an unassuming guy. You wouldn't think he had a penny to his name. He sat off to one side. And he asked me, he said, is there any special needs in your life? And I said, uh, why do you ask? He said, well, is there? I said, well, actually, we're looking for a van for missions so I can drive around the country in a van and haul this stuff without endangering my family. He said, what do you need? I said, I'm sorry, I just don't feel comfortable in sharing that. You'll just have to pray about it. The next morning at 6 o'clock, I was eating breakfast at the house of my host, and this guy walked in. He didn't say a word. He just walked in, slapped something down in the plate, my plate. It wasn't, fortunately, it didn't have anything in it. He just laid it down flat, and he walked out the door. I slowly turned that check over. It was a check written to me for $4,000, exactly what we needed. Now, why did I tell you all of that? 
I could repeat those stories until you got tired of hearing them. I mean, one after the other. My point is this. Don't give up on God. Don't ever sell him short. Don't you ever think for five minutes he's forgotten about you over here because he hasn't. And as a matter of fact, some of the greatest miracles you've ever seen are ahead of you. I've heard the stories. I walked around with Brother Tony as he talked about this and this and how that happened, how that happened, how that. Let me tell you something. That God hasn't gone off on a vacation trip and he hasn't got lost and he's not wandering about in the desert somewhere. He's still very much with us. He is with us right now, this very moment. He's with us in our suffering and our pain. I know there's several of your people that are out and are hurting and for various reasons, but I want to tell you something. God is with us in our moments of hurt and woe and suffering. He's with us in our deepest sorrows. When you pass through the waters, he said, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. God is not only with us in our struggles, but he's with us in our stumbling. Anybody here this morning, it hadn't been a very good week? Maybe somewhere along the way that something happened that you came today with a sense of guilt. You say, well, maybe, I, I, maybe I've sinned. Maybe I've messed up. And if that's happened, I guarantee you there's an enemy out there called Satan who came along and said, aha, you've sinned, you've messed up. God's gone. But let me tell you something, that's not true. God is with us even in our failures. God is with us even when you sin. There's something to be both encouraged and convicted at the same time. He just doesn't give up and walk out the door. That also means he's not going to let you off the hook. That also means he's going to keep digging at you and probing at you and, and, and enabling you to confess that sin and to deal with that. I often hear a lot of people in the, sometimes in the holiness tradition think, well, if you've ever sinned one time, God's done with you. No, that's not true. That's not true at all. On the flip side of that coin, I also hear some people think you can just run along sinning every day in word, thought, and deed like there's, like there's nothing to it. Well, that's not true either. As a matter of fact, both of those views are extreme. God doesn't give up on you because you committed a sin, nor is he going to tolerate what may be called a sinning religion or just practicing and habitually living in sin. Both of those extremes are wrong. Neither one are scriptural. But what is the answer? God enables you and I to be victorious over willful sin in our life. He also, if we do sin, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who's not only the propitiation for our sins, but for the whole world. So if you have failed somewhere along the way, we have an advocate this morning, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But finally, not only is he with us in our stumbling, God is with us through his Holy Spirit. 
In John chapter 16, when Jesus was sharing with those disciples that last night, he said to them in verse 7, he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now, boy, that was a shocker. They, they weren't wanting him to go anywhere. But he said, no, 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 it's to your advantage that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come, and he won't just be with you, he's going to dwell in you. Avery's translation of that is simply this. It's better to have the Holy Spirit inside you than to have Jesus standing right beside you. That's what he just said. He said, I'll be with you. He'll be in you. He will enlighten you. He will enable you. He will encourage you. He will equip you. He will provide whatever it is you need. He will be in you. That is truly Emmanuel, not just with us, but Emmanuel in us through the Holy Spirit. I was in York, Pennsylvania, the home of, used to be the home, I think it still is, of Harley Davidson Motorcycle. I was there for a, a youth convention in a little small church that kind of hung on the side of a hill, sort of a ridiculous looking affair. I had to fly in from Cincinnati to Harrisburg. There was a thunderstorm. It had rained. My plane was late. And I just, the, the pastor picked me up at the airport. We just got to the church. I mean, literally 10 minutes before it was time to start the service. And I was breathless. I walked in and I sat down on the front seat on this side and I was trying to go over my message for that night and try, try to get my thoughts together. And it was a little church with a lot of young people and this was a youth meeting and they were running a bus. And as I was sitting there, I heard the unmistakable sound of an old yellow school bus putting on its brakes right at the front door. Can, I can hear it. Just that, that strange squeaking noise of those brakes. Some of you can too. And then I could heard, I heard the sound of, the, of opening the door. You know, all these churches get these buses after they're 20 years old, so they're about broken down anyway. And I heard that door go, you could hear it. And then all of a sudden, the thundering footfalls of about 70 kids came bursting through that back door. Boom, 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 boom. Coming down the aisle, finding seats, giggling, laughing. And there were three little blonde-haired girls, all about the same age, I don't know, 10 to 12. They were several rows back, and they had their seat right next to the aisle. And, and I glanced around enough just to, I could hear them giggling and laughing. They were just happy. And then I turned back and get my mind in gear. When all of a sudden I heard a terrible scream and a noise, I whirled around and a little boy, about 10 years old, decided he was going to sit right in the middle of those girls. And they were going to have none of it. And they literally took that kid and pitched him in the aisle. Well, he bounced. And he bounced to the seat right behind me. And as soon as his little bottom hit the seat right behind me, his hand moved forward and started pecking on my shoulder. And I turned around, and there he was, up on the edge of his seat, looking right at me, and he said, Hey, you, what's your name? 
I said, my name's Mike. And he said, well, Mike, where are you from? I said, I'm from Cincinnati. And he, in his cute way, he said, is that a good place to be from? I thought of a lot of ways to answer that one. And I said, yeah, it's a nice place. And about that time, the pastor walked by and touched me on the shoulder and said, it's time to start. So I escaped from little David and got to the pulpit. As soon as the service was over, I walked to the back door. I wanted to get acquainted with the kids, and they were praying a dismissal prayer. And I was standing at the back door, and something like this, I had my, my, had my Bible under my arm, and I was going to shake hands and find out who the kids were. I was just standing there, and I felt warmth, unusual warmth on this arm. Why it was getting warmer than the rest of my body, if it was weird. So I opened my eyes. And there stands that little boy. He is so close to me that his head and hair is warming my arm. And as soon as the amen is said, he whirls around, looks up at me, and starts peppering me with questions. He is an absolute nuisance. And I'm trying to, all these other kids, I'm trying to shake their hand. I'm trying to welcome them and say something nice to them. And here's David just, and all the noise of them rushing out, they're going to have an ice cream party right out, little little gravel parking lot with one pole and a dawn to dusk light on it. And they had saw horses and some plywood on it. And they had all that ice cream out. This is the middle of the summer and the highest part of humidity. We're going to have banana splits. And I hate bananas. And there's David. And they're all rushing to get ice cream. And he's yakking when all of a sudden he said this. He tapped me on the shoulder and kind of pulled his sleeve and said, Mike, you're the best friend I've got. Boy, did I ever, he ever have my attention. I looked down into those little empty blue eyes and I wrapped my arm around him and I pulled him up close. I said, I'm your friend, David. Well, buddy, we walked out the door, and he had to go get in line. Well, they brought me my banana split, and because I'm the guest preacher, I got two bananas on it, (laughs) all sorts of ice cream, chocolate, caramel, strawberry, syrup, all over it, just dripping. And it's hot, and it's melting, and for some weird reason, I had the most expensive suit I owned on that night. I can't explain why. And I'm standing there, my Bible under my arm, this banana split in this hand, trying to eat it and look like I'm enjoying it. And guess who shows up? David. He stood right here and ate his ice cream. He stood so close to me, he soaked the sleeve of my suit in a spot about that big with ice cream and chocolate and strawberry stuff talking constantly and I just I let him soak it and I talked and I listened he didn't really need anybody to talk he just needed somebody to listen and finally it was time to go and he was the last one to get on the bus I had to drag him away and he rushed he got on the bus he came across to the other side of the bus raised the window hung his head out and waved at me 
until they were out of sight. All day the next day, nobody told me we were playing volleyball. I had nothing but clothes like this. I think I had these shoes. And I'm out here to play volleyball in a sandlot. And so, well, nothing to do but take off my jacket, roll up my pants, take off my shoes. David was right there. He said, no, 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 no. He took my shoes off. He took my socks off. He rolled my pants up. I played volleyball. He stood right on the side the whole time I played. When they were done and we were going to eat a hot dog, I went over to get my shoes, and David said, no. He brushed my feet off, put on my socks, put on my shoes, sat down right by me. We ate hot dogs. Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, as I stood at the back door, I watched David go out. He rushed to the bus. He raised the window, pulled the window down, hung his body about halfway out. And the last words I ever heard that little boy speak was, Brother Avery, you're the best friend I've got. Why did I tell you that story? I'll tell you why I tell you that story. I'm talking to some people who live in a world full of noise. You're surrounded by more gadgets than any civilization in the world's ever thought possible. You've got a TV blaring. You've got a Bose sound system blaring. You've got noise from every corner. You've got billfolds and bank accounts that are bulging with money. Don't look so stupid. I know better. Every need you could ever imagine has been met. And yet, I'm talking to what may be some of the loneliest people in the world. One of the worldwide global dilemmas right now is loneliness. This is a generation who's never had more, yet experiences the most devastating emptiness and loneliness of any generation that's ever lived. But you know what the cure for that is? It's not another car. It is an Alexis or a Mercedes or a new Ford truck. It's not getting that trophy deer that I've been looking for. It's not even getting that trophy wife I wish I had, someone would say. It's not getting what you want for Christmas. It's not having a steak dinner when you leave here. If you want a solution, if you want an answer to that deep loneliness and emptiness inside you, I'll tell you where the answer is. The answer is in Emmanuel. God with us. Through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside, living inside, filling us with His presence. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the answer. And that's exactly what we have as I stand before you on this third Advent Sunday, I can proclaim to you truly Emmanuel is with us. He is even here this very moment in this very service and he knocks on the door of your heart saying, open up, let me come in. We'll sit down and have fellowship together. And he will bring to you something you thought absolutely impossible. And that is joy and fullness and happiness and abundance. What an amazing, powerful phrase. 
God with us. Is he with you? And you? Is he with you? He's not. He can be. He can be. Let's stand.